on the trail, I don't know how many people said, I, I was hoping that this hike would be a spiritual awakening for me. I've never found people so open to just reflecting on um, really the walk of life. Have you ever considered walking the entire distance of the Appalachian Trail? Our guest did just that, and we'll talk about it here on First Person Welcome. I'm Wayne Shepherd. His name is Craig Clapper. He's a retired part-time pastor and avid hiker with a unique story of ministry on the trail, and you'll meet him in just a moment. Our program exists with the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company for the purpose of telling stories of God at work in our lives. We meet someone different each week who has heard God's call to a unique ministry. Learn more about FEBC's own stories when you visit us online at firstpersoninterview.com and click on the banner for FEBC. That's firstpersoninterview.com. Well, after a career as a pastor, Craig Clapper gave it up to become just another hiker attempting to complete the Appalachian Trail and earn the title of Through Hiker. Along the way, he built relationships that led to many spiritual conversations as he encountered fellow hikers traversing through God's creation. As Craig and I began our conversation, I asked him to recall just how long his trek was. Well, it was 2,186 miles long. It's quite a journey. Uh, quite an adventure as well. A 2,186 miles. Now, over what period of time did you walk it? It takes about five to six months to hike it. So uh, it's 14 states. And uh, you go, I started on March 2nd in uh, what was recorded as the coldest, snowiest winter in the Smokies. A lot of time we were uh, hiking in two to three feet of snow. Mm. And uh, you hiked clear through the seasons and ended on uh, September 20th up at the top of Maine uh, just before the snow was flying again. (laughs) So went through uh, all the seasons. Wow. Well, we want to talk about the details of such a tremendous experience, Craig. I don't know if I should call you Craig or Hoosier. Let's explain Hoosier, what that means. Through hikers, and we'll need to explain that, that's a person that hikes the entire trail in one calendar year, one fell swoop, uh, they all take trail names. Uh, no one knows your real name on the trail, which uh, really adds, I think, to uh, uh, the uniqueness of it. And uh, I've been hiking it for over 20 years, and somewhere along the line from being from Indiana, I picked up the trail name Hoosier. <laughs> so I am Hoosier on the trail. All right. So should I call you Hoosier or Craig here today? Uh, call me Hoosier. Yeah, okay, I, right. I like Hoosier. Okay. <laughs> well, if I had accomplished what you have accomplished, I'd want to go by that name as well. That's uh, It's an amazing, right. amazing feat. Any idea how many people have done that through hike? Wow. You know, I'm not sure. It's in the thousands. Uh, each year, approximately 2,000 people from uh, around the world, actually. There's a lot of people from other countries. Uh, come to the Appalachian Trail attempting to become through hikers. And each year, anywhere from 15 to 20 percent of the people make it. Uh, there's a, an extremely high dropout rate. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's not easy. It's a hard, it's a hard hike. Yeah. So uh, I don't know how many people have actually done it, but uh, several hundred per year accomplish it. Hmm. 
Well, Hoosier, I want to talk about the details of the trip, but I also want to learn about you and the background to your decision to walk the Appalachian Trail. So, mm-hmm. so who are you? You're a retired pastor, right? I am, and I guess I always like to do long things. I uh, was actually running a marathon in California when the day I got the call to become a senior pastor in South Bend, Indiana at uh, Trinity Evangelical Free Church. And I got down and prayed that I could run a marathon pastorate, and by God's grace, I did that. I was there 26.2 years to the Sunday. Is that right? <laughs> and, yeah, and, um, but during those years, 20-some years before I, I actually got to do this, I read an article in National Geographic about the Appalachian Trail and these thru-hikers. And it really intrigued me. I actually felt a divine call upon my life that I just had to become a thru-hiker someday. So um, in 2013, um, or 2012, I retired. 2013, I set out to uh, do the Appalachian Trail after uh, really a lifetime of being a pastor. Now, you don't just one day decide to jump on the trail and walk the whole distance. You you did some warm-up runs, didn't you? I did for probably 20 years. I hiked it a couple weeks here, a couple weeks there. And then uh, one time on a sabbatical, I did uh, two months. I did the states of Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. That only caused me to want to do the entire trail even more, particularly because of meeting these thru-hikers that uh, are just amazing people that live in the woods for a half, half a year almost uh, living, as I say, as a turtle with what you carry on your back. Uh, and I wanted to become one. All right. The question you're asked more often than any is, what did your wife think of this? So let's go <laughs> ahead and get that question out of the way. Yeah, that's that's right. Well, I married the right woman, uh, believe me. Uh, we had talked about this for years and years, that one day I wanted to hike the entire thing. So this was no surprise to her. And so uh, we actually made arrangements uh, for her to do a whole lot of things, uh, visit her her, uh, family and uh, my daughter, uh, as it turned out, and her family moved in our house uh, with her and four grandkids. So uh, that worked out really well. I will say this, since that hike, I've done quite a few other hikes. But she limits me to one month. <laughs> no more, no more six month hikes. So, uh, but she, uh, she, I had her blessing for this trip, and uh, so I'm grateful. Now, on the trail, I mean, how often could you talk with your wife or communicate? How how did she know how you were doing and that you were alive and well? Yeah, you know that's interesting. In 2007, when I did the two months, I seldom had cell service. Um, but in 2013, that world had changed. And I would say generally five nights of the week. Um, and once I got settled in my tent, we set a time and I would call her. Now we did that because you, you don't want to let your, you leave your cell phone on because, uh, you wear your battery down. So, uh, I got to talk to her quite, quite frequently, almost every evening for a few minutes in, in my tent and review the day. And, um, and actually that was, uh, it really drew us close together. You know, it was, it was great. Yeah. So technology even has reached the Appalachian trail, huh? It, it has, it, it really has. And it, that, uh, that's a real blessing to be able to make that contact back home. And, uh, she sort of walked along with me on the trail. Hmm. 
Now, packing for a trip like that, what you carry uh, on your, I mean, you can't carry everything for the whole journey. So how does that all work? Right. You uh, First of all, you change out gear for the uh, different seasons. You start out a little bit heavy, probably around 40 pounds down in uh, Georgia there in the winter. And uh, and then what you do is, is approximately once every five to six days, you cross a, and you have a little booklet that tells you uh, where it's at, you cross a road and you hitchhike into little towns. They're called trail towns, and they're they're uh, hiker friendly, and uh, family dollars, general uh, dollar stores, and so forth are usually in these little mountain towns. And they know the gear that you need, so they carry it. They have the dried foods and so forth. So uh, you kind of live off these little trail towns as you go along, and um, some people actually have mail drops sent to them at small post offices along the way. Mm-hmm. But in recent years, that's not been a good thing in that uh, some of these rural communities, the the hours are so limited that uh, you arrive in a town and maybe the post office isn't going to be open for a couple of days and you get stuck in a town. So yeah. um, the, the, these little trail towns, they tend to carry what you need. It's so, interesting. Uh, My wife and I have uh, traveled uh, a bit. And as we come across these uh, little trail towns, as you call them, it's interesting to to kind of sit and watch the hikers as they come through. And uh, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a different ambiance, isn't it? It's a different feel in those communities. It, it really is, yeah. And uh, they, uh, boy, you know, they call them trail angels that give trail magic. These little towns along the way uh, uh, really have a a ministry to hikers and a lot of times churches and Christians along the way, knowing that the whole world is coming by their backyard, really reach out to you. And, uh, there's some great ministries along the trail that, uh, people do. That's fascinating. Trail angels, you call them. I read about them in your book. Do you ever get to take a shower along the way or do you just have to stop at a stream? (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, that's, uh, an interesting topic on the trail. People would talk about, okay, when you get into a trail town, if if you could only have one or the other, would it be a great meal or a shower? <laughs> and I always went for the shower. Did you? Okay. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I uh, That's probably the thing I missed most about civilized life. I tell you, after about a week in a sleeping bag, uh, it's a toss-up. Either keep your head outside your sleeping bag and your head freezes or stick it inside and get sick by the smell of yourself, you know. Um, you can get pretty rank in a week in the woods. So you welcome those but, opportunities to get a hot shower now and again. Uh, yeah, I loved showers. I, I did. And, uh, you know, that's another great thing. There were some rural churches in the mountains that actually put showers in their church basement in some bunk beds. And uh, uh, when you came into town, they offered you free showers and uh, a free night in the church in a bunk. And um, my goodness, that's like a fine five-star hotel. <laughs> so it was a terrific experience for you overall, huh, Craig? Or Hoosier, I'm sorry. i got to call you Hoosier. Yeah. A terrific experience yeah. for you, right? Yeah, you know it was. Um, there were difficult days, but I can say this. There was never a day that I wasn't grateful I was out there and having the time of my life. Uh, I knew I was in a unique chapter. I mean, how many people get to take a five to six months out of their lives to just disconnect and uh, 
have no idea what's happening in the world, which is one of the rules amongst the thru-hiker community. You don't talk about what's happening in the, back in the world, as we called it, if you even know, and you probably don't know. And uh, it gives you a lot of great time for reflection. And Craig Clapper, a.k.a. Hoosier, will continue to reflect on his hike along the Appalachian Trail. Stay with us. This is Ed Cannon, president of the Far East Broadcasting Company. As you listen to this week's edition of First Person, can I remind you to take a moment and visit the webpage, firstpersoninterview.com? Click on the FEBC banner there, and you'll hear stories of God at work in the lives of people touched by the programs produced by our dedicated staff. We take Christ to the world through radio and new technology. For more, go to firstpersoninterview.com and click on the banner for FEBC. My first person guest is Hoosier. His name is Craig Clapper. He's a retired pastor who was a thru-hiker on the Appalachian Trail. Um, Craig, I I didn't ask you this. I hope you don't mind. How old were you when you hiked the trail? Yeah, I was 62 when I started, finished at 63. And obviously, I was one of the older hikers out on the trail. And uh, as a matter of fact, that's one of the sad things. I speak at a lot of men's events, and I have all these men that come up who are maybe in their later 50s, their 60s, they're retiring, and they'd say, I I would love to do that, but now my, my knees are shot, my hips are shot. And so I praise God that he gave me the health at that age to, to do that. Yeah. And uh, How did you train for that? Well, uh, I live beside a, a state park called Potato Creek State Park uh, in Indiana, and I spent a lot of time in that park with a backpack on, uh, hiking uh, every day. However, let's say I hike a couple hours a day. You, you can't get in shape before you go to hike because you're going to hike all day long. So you have to uh, get in shape on the trail, in a sense, uh, by hiking all day long. But you better not arrive being out of shape or you're, you're going to drop out awful quickly. And what happens if you turn an ankle or something happens on the trail? Yeah, you know, that that happens. And, uh, boy, you just uh, – uh, and this is one of the wonderful things on the trail. You you really were sad when you heard that someone was uh, – we called it off-trail. And uh, I knew a lot of guys much younger and stronger than me that uh, didn't make it, uh, a lot of them, young guys. And uh, by, you know, there's 5 million steps approximately, they claim, and it only takes one bad one. <laughs> now, I, uh, I took a bad step every day. I'm sure I fell down every single day. Every Is that right? Every hiker does. Wow. And, uh, but thankfully, I never, never got injured. And, and uh, sad to say, I know a lot of guys that, that did get injured. And uh, some could heal up and get back on the trail, but you're, you're under a, a time pressure because you have to complete it uh, by early October. They won't let you complete it because of uh, the ice that's on Mount Katahdin up at the top of Maine. So you're under some time constraints. Yeah. And the terrain, we haven't talked about that at all, but uh, I know it varies greatly, but it, it's pretty rough at times. I I, uh, I recall you called it Roxylvania in your, uh, in your oh, book. Yeah. Yeah, interestingly, uh, you know, you take the White Mountains of uh, New Hampshire, they're m- much harder than Pennsylvania, but I think most 
thru-hikers, many would say that Pennsylvania was the toughest state because it's made up of this loose shale for miles that just uh, rips your feet up, your ankles, cuts your ankles, bruises the bottoms of your feet, and they call it Rocksylvania, Painsylvania, and Sprainsylvania. <laughs> and, uh, Sounds tough. So uh, Pennsylvania is not a favorite uh, state, but uh, you have to go through Pennsylvania. It's part of the journey, and you know, it's part of the uh, spiritual lessons you learn. You don't... You don't uh, uh, finish the Christian life without going through some rough miles. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because I want to talk about the spiritual lessons you learned. This wasn't just a walk in the woods for you, was it? This was a, a calling, as you described it. It it truly was, um, and uh, you know there were five major lessons that I've come up with that uh, that I learned on the trail that really apply to the Christian life. The first one is to walk light. Um, you know, the book of Hebrews says it uses race rather than uh, a walk, but it says lay aside every weight and sin that's, that clings so closely to you. Right away, the very first thing you learn when you begin this trail, you want to be as light as possible. Uh, a question that people ask each other is, what's your pack weigh? And you actually brag about how light your pack is. Um, the other lesson is that you, you walk right. You stay on the Appalachian Trail. There are places where you can cheat and do what's called blue blazing, which is go around a mountain on a side trail, and even yellow blaze, which means you uh, you hitchhike down the road and skip a section. Oh, it's no, hard. no, no, if no, you, you can't uh, do that. <laughs> no, you can't do that, and not to be a, not to, if you're a through hiker, you can't. Well, in the Christian life, too, um, you you stay on the right path. You know, you follow the the Word of God. Uh, the Appalachian Trail is actually quite easy to follow. There's approximately 80,000 white blazes on trees and rocks, et cetera, um, and you just look for the next white blaze, and uh, that indicates you're on the right trail. Well, sometimes that trail seems to be the hardest, and it you are tempted to say, well, I think I'll take a shortcut here. But So same way with the Christian life. You stay on the straight and narrow, as Jesus called it. And then uh, you, uh, you, you walk tight, as I call it, and that would be the trail community, the linear community. There are other hikers, and you get in what's called your bubble with other hikers, and they come and go because they get injured. Some are faster and slower, and you make some friends you hike with, but... Uh, the greatest part of that journey were, were the other fellow hikers that I met, and uh, still friends with many of them, and uh, had an opportunity to really minister to some as well uh, on the trail. Um, I, I always said that there's nobody hiking a half a year to just take a hike. They're working through something mm -hmm. and uh, going through major transitions in life, uh, sometimes the death of a spouse, the the uh, through divorce or death, uh, the death of a job. Uh, I met several men in their 50s that were very, very wealthy and quit their jobs to take a hike to figure out what to do with the rest of their lives. And they were very open to spiritual conversations. And uh, so, uh, and you know, even in Hebrews, it keeps saying, uh, let us, let us lay aside every weight. Let us do this and that. It's a, it's, the Christian life is communal as well. And then, uh, to walk with delight, uh, to enjoy the journey. A question toward the end that people would say is, are you still enjoying the journey? And, and a lot of hikers weren't. Um, 
because it was tough, but as I shared earlier, I, I was just so grateful to be out there and being able to do this. Uh, I've never wept for joy, this is sad to say, until I hiked the Appalachian Trail. There were times where I just stood and wept because life was so good. The scenery, the the smells, the sights, and uh, I think God wants that more so out of us. Uh, you know, the rabbis teach that we'll answer to God for not enjoying all the good things he gave us in this earthly journey. And I can truly say on the trail, I learned to just walk with delight and enjoy the journey, no matter how difficult it was at times. And then the final one is to walk with the end in sight. Um, You were told that there was an end to this trail up at the top of Maine at a huge, beautiful mountain called Mount Katahdin, which means the Great One. And it was amazing, at about 132 miles away on a clear day, I saw Mount Katahdin. Wow, that far. (laughs) It really does. Yeah, 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 it was amazing. It really did exist. Yeah, it was crystal clear up in the top of Maine there. Now, that means you got uh, uh, probably 10 days before you get there. But uh, in the Christian journey, we always have to keep the end in sight. You know, we're citizens of another country. One day we will come to our last mile of our our Christian walk, and um, we'll finish this journey, and then hopefully we'll hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, uh, that we were truly a, a through hiker, that, you know, we didn't yellow blaze or blue blaze. We we stayed true to the trail and the Jesus trail and, and honored him with our Christian walk. And uh, so those are some of the lessons that I've those learned. Those are great lessons, Hoosier. They really are. I appreciate you sharing those. And they're in your book, of, of course, as well. And we'll mention the book on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Uh, you mentioned okay. briefly some of the people you met on the trail, and I wish we had more time to talk about them. They're such unique personalities. And I know you weren't supposed to talk about occupations and and uh, their life outside the trail too much, were you? Uh, no, you weren't. Uh, what happens is if you started hiking saying putting in hundreds of miles with a particular hiker, eventually you'd say, uh, what'd you do to put bread on the table back home? And uh, that's when I would say, well, actually, I just retired as a, a pastor. And unlike back here in this world, on the trail, I don't know how many people said, ah, oh, am I ever glad to, to talk to you? I, I, I was hoping that this this journey, this hike would, would be a spiritual awakening for me. And, uh, boy, then you're off to the races. And uh, I've never found – you had a unique group of people out there, but people so open to just reflecting on, um, the, the really, the walk of life. Why are we here and where are we going? Things like that. Walking the Appalachian Trail had to be a very unique and difficult experience, and yet Craig Clapper did it, giving God the glory as he went. If you'd like to read more about his experience, Craig's book is titled Legging It, Life Lessons Learned Through Hiking the Appalachian Trail. We'll put a link to the book and more about Craig's experiences at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. You can also contact him there if you'd like him to speak to your church or group, firstpersoninterview.com. I'd like to thank the Far East Broadcasting Company for supporting First Person each week. Learn more about FEBC at firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, our guest will be Charles Morris of Haven Today, who will tell us of his interviews with Christians persecuted by ISIS in the Middle East. Until then, and with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. We invite you to join us again next time for First Person. We'll see you then. 